if you don't create the story about your ski resort, your clients are going to create the story about your ski resort and they're going to share it. Um, so that whole notion of transparent communication, saying what you mean and meaning what you say, I think is so exceptionally critical right now. You have tuned in to PodSAM, the podcast channel of SAM Magazine, the voice of the mountain resort industry. It's the end of November and the North American winter season is starting. Mountains are opening and putting the plans that have been developed, reviewed, and agonized over into operation to do what we can to ensure a safe and hopefully successful winter season. It's also time for a reality check. In the second of this two-part conversation, we talk with operators who are getting ready to open about communication, get a little insight into the consumer perspective, and talk about calm through the chaos with a little brain science thrown in for good measure. Missed part one? Check out episode 51 of PodSAM to catch up. We'll start the discussion here with SAM publisher, Olivia Rowan. Thank you so much for joining us today on our Monday huddle. I'm Olivia Rowan, publisher of SAM Magazine, and joining me as co-host is uh, SAM's senior editor, Dave Meeker. Today we're talking with a group of operators who have already opened for the season or trying to open amidst uh, tightening restrictions, and one longtime industry leader um, and a mentor to many, Blaze Kerrig. We'll also hear from some topic experts on customer sentiment and leadership, and um, just a our esteemed panel. Um, so our panel includes Blaze Carrig, who's a longtime ski resort leader, many of you, most of you all know. Uh, Colonel John Vermeesh, um, US Army, a retired US Army Colonel, also with JAV Leadership Solutions. Paul Talner, who's with High Peaks Group um, CEO, and he's also our Summit Series uh, leader. Regina Connell, who's an advisor from Bull Stockwell, also working with Metric Centric for this purposes of this call. Um, we have Carl Kapuczynski, who's the president and CEO of Mountain High, California. We have Hiram uh, Towell, who's with general, uh, general manager at Mount Ashland, Oregon, and Tyler Fairbank, who is the president of the Fairbank Group. Last week, this, this is a, a two-part huddle series, um, and we named it Reality Check, and, and really it was just as we are heading into our season and we had all these you know, great operating plans we'd spent months on, the news was, you know, about COVID and the surge in cases and the tightening restrictions. So we felt like we wanted to do a check-in with everybody, see how those plans are holding up. So we began this reality check by hearing last week from a Healthline reporter um, who was who has been talking with President-elect Biden's health advisory team. And of course, no surprise, you know, she confirmed that the pandemic will be with us through the winter season and probably into the summer. And we have to can be ready to um, continue to take whatever curveballs get thrown at us. So just sort of getting our heads in that game of that we're here for a while. She talked about how vaccines are getting fast-tracked and that has helped us to see the end in sight for us, our staff and for you know the general public. But despite our best efforts to plan for COVID restrictions, local health mandates may force us to rework our plans. It's a complicated situation um, and one of the things she shared um, that, you know, from the health advisors and the scientists, they do not feel a lockdown is likely, uh, but indoor capacities could become extremely limited. So with the wide variety of responses among the different states and even different counties, we are gaining a lot of experience with a range of rules and regulations. If and when the regulations 
um, change in your community, you may be able to learn how resorts elsewhere in similar circumstances have responded. We'll talk today with several resorts and how they plan to operate in this very fluid environment. We'll also focus a bit more on how skiers and snowboarders have been reacting to the pandemic. How well are guests buying into our plans and solutions? That buy-in um, we know is essential for our COVID mitigations to succeed. We'll also look at how we can help prepare our staffs for the coming season and how we can manage through uncertain and changing health measures. We are definitely fortunate that our sports provide outdoor recreation that helps relieve that cabin fever that has developed over the past several months of staying at home and avoiding the crowds. There's general agreement that it's healthy for people to be outside, especially now, and it's important for our guests as well as the health of our resorts to provide that recreation. Um, as we've been saying all along, all of us, you know, we're in this together and, and this kind of support that we've been giving each other I, has been tremendous. Um, so um, that's what we are doing today. So before we get to the operators, the first piece that we want to do is we'd like to check in on the state of mind of our customers with a, you know, a brief look at some things that we've discovered. And um, for this, we've been fortunate to work with a company called Metric Centric. They track customer sentiment and perception on the web. And this is not a survey of customers, so it's different from that. It's instead it metric-centric tracks all virtual chatter on ski and riding this summer. They have already completed a look back from October 2019 through last week. And we will be, and they're going to be tracking it going forward and through March. So we'll be sharing these reports throughout the season, see if there's things that we can help um, shed some light on and, and um, be able to make decisions on. So um, we talk a lot about how customer behavior has changed during the pandemic and how some of the behaviors may be permanent or with us a couple years. This tracking um, may help us measure these changes and it can also tell us what consumers are thinking right now and how they're responding to the plans we've announced for the season. So with that in mind, um, Regina Bullstockwell-Allen, who also is working with Metric Centric um, and introduce them to Sam, Regina's gonna just share uh, a couple of, we're not gonna get into the whole report because we just got the report. So we're going through it and, and we are, we're gonna continue to track, but she pulled a couple of um, pieces that were just tracked in the last couple of weeks that uh, we thought would be interesting to share at this point. So Regina, just share what those are for us before we get to the operators. Yeah, I mean, I think as Olivia said, you know, we found it incredibly useful to kind of bring the voice of the customer in because that's the, the big thing that everybody's really grappling with, which is like, what on earth are those people? And we know what we're doing. What on earth are those people, you know, thinking about? And, um, and I think that in particular, I think that, you know, from a, whether it's marketing communications or product and service development um, or refinement, which is, I think, what we're all doing right now, I think it's, it's really, really helpful to, um, to start to bring in those voices. Um, so, okay, so we took a look at um, conversations again, you know, throughout the last year, but in particular, we really wanted to focus in on what are people saying now? And so here are some of the top conversations from the last two weeks um, or almost three weeks. And I think my one takeaway from all of this is that people are actually really fundamentally adjusting to this new reality. They know everything is different. They know that that, you know, their lives have kind of shifted and things like that. And so they've kind of been trained in the last nine months to um, to figure out that things are going to be different. 
Um, and so they're getting used to the change. Um, but what was really interesting is how they're dealing with the specifics of kind of ski in the, in the winter ahead. And so, you know, what are some of the key takeaways in this? Um, one, capacity. You know, skiers are really starting to get used to the reservation system at the mountain and um, so far are kind of getting the dates and times that they wanted, but they definitely are, we're hearing that they definitely are, are those slots are kind of filling up pretty quickly. Um, number two is that skiers want mountains to be transparent about how many people they're actually allowing at one time. Um, there were some comments, you know, about, oh, this is going to be great because there are going to be fewer skiers, but then, you know, other people um, that, that we were listening in on were saying, well, you know, we don't know because how many people are, are you know, we know that there's capacity constraints and so how many people are really, you know, kind of really coming. So that's a big concern, particularly around what we call the fanatic skiers, the, the ones who really, really care. Um, for non-pass holders, they, you know, are concerned about, you know, how flexible they need to be with the dates that, you know, when they go skiing since the pass holders, you know, they know that the pass holders have kind of, you know, right of first refusal and get in first. Um, people looking for alternatives to main ski areas this year. And so there's, you know, as we saw last year, kind of an interest in backcountry skiing. Um, and then finally, um, regarding, you know, activities other than skiing, some people are, you know, and especially with respect to kind of like, well, what about food and beverage and all of those kinds of things. People are careful. People are actually, they've been trained again for the last nine months they are nervous about going inside and um, they aren't really as interested in the, in the restaurants, but they are interested in just some of the logistics. Um, it's interesting that, you know, in this time when so many people have focused on, um, you know, kind of hygiene issues and things like that, What's been interesting is that we were not hearing a lot of concern about hygiene, sanitation, like all of that kind of thing. Um, but what they were concerned about is kind of overall logistics. So as we said before, the lift wait times, um, you know, how many, what would the travel restrictions be, which is obviously something you don't have a whole lot of control over, how crowded Christmas is gonna be. Um, and you know what will happen, you know, in the states as as you know, kind of the the cases surge and things like that, and and you know, states shutting down. Um, in particular, there were mentions of confusion over Vermont's COVID nineteen policies and their travel requirements for people coming in from out of state, and how that will impact um, a lot of people going into those areas. So um, those were kind of at a top level. A lot of the things that we saw. Um, and, you know, sentiments both positive and negative and negative being really more about questions than anything else. Um, but there was one key takeaway and I don't know, and I'd really be interested in hearing from operators kind of, you know, how engaged you are in these forums, because I think a lot of the richness of the listening came from really being able to kind of hone in on the forums. And um, we, you know, if you're not already kind of deep into that, I think that that would be a really huge opportunity to, to really kind of, um, to really kind of, you know, amp up your social listening. Because again, this report that we did was kind of pretty much on a national slash, we chose a handful of states to, to really kind of listen in on. But obviously the magic is in being able to kind of listen in and really customize it for your own property. So again, forums, really, really huge. That's where so much of the engagement is. That's where your season pass holders are. Thanks, Regina. Joining us today 
excited for our first operator to tell us how things are going along is Carl Kapazinski, president and CEO of Mountain High in Southern California. Uh, fun fact, both Carl and I played baseball at Eastern Connecticut State University. Uh, we have four College World Series appearances between the two of us on that team. We played for the same coach. Uh, of course, none of those seasons were nearly as interesting as this ski season is going to be, Carl. Uh, so the resort had planned to open up on November 12th, uh, but delayed opening after several key employees tested positive for COVID after ensuring it was safe to operate. The resort opened on November 14th. Uh, so Carl, did Mountain High have protocols in place for dealing with positive cases among staff before that happened? How did they work if so? And what did you learn from that experience? Thanks, Dave. Yeah. And uh, let me run, <laughs> run through it a little bit. Obviously it was a, uh pretty big surprise on uh, Wednesday morning, the 11th, I believe, when I got the call that uh, all of a sudden we had our first uh, positive test. And uh, from there, we had a uh, protocol in place for uh, uh, testing of anyone who had been in contact with, including myself. Uh, and it, it wound up taking out about 23, 24 people uh, regarding for, uh, for testing. Of that, uh, we wound up with seven total positive cases. Uh, and then, of course, uh, uh, the people that were involved with them uh, had to be sidelined too. So the biggest takeaway was is have your, your contact tracing in place, but also what we developed through this whole thing was having somebody available that can actually come on site and do the testing. Uh, so we're now set up with that. Uh, uh, God forbid it happens again, but basically uh, if we get the testing done in the morning, we can have results by five that afternoon uh, and having a service like that set up is something I'd highly recommend. So you're not left scrambling, trying to figure out where you can get testing or when they can get in or how long it takes. Because the quickest thing you have to figure out is how, how many people you're going to lose and for how long. And, and, and then you, can, you have to rebuild your team from there. And you really need an A, B, and C team. Uh, we're fortunate that we have night skiing. We weren't uh, open for night skiing, but basically the night crew became the day crew, so to say, because they were not affected by, by this. This basically affected the tickets, all of our ticket departments and base area operations. So all of our key people, including food and beverage, uh, were, were missing for the opening. So, so uh, having that, uh, that plan of who, who, you know, the A, B, and C team and keeping them separated, along with having uh, rapid, not, not rapid testing in the sense of rapid testing, but uh, rapid ability to test people uh, is two keys I really, I really learned out of this. And, uh, you know, through the process, and we wound up, open, we, we were very transparent. We debated how to, how to announce this. We, you know, we found out about noon that these were positive cases. We were supposed to open with a big launch the next morning. Uh, and we, you know, both internally and externally, uh, you know, said the best way to say what happened. And uh, we, and overall the media and the news, uh, it did make the LA times and a couple other things, but every overall people were fairly positive about, about it and understood and appreciated the transparency. So that's another key takeaway was the transparency internally and externally. Don't try to hide it. We, you know, there was some talk, well, do we say we didn't have enough snow to open or this or that? And, uh, at the end of the day, the best decision was to be transparent about it and, and so on. So as of today, actually, as we speak, our, the, the first day, the people, uh, the, the 22 or 23 that were sidelined were able to come back to work. Uh, so they're back now. Uh, we've had no new positive cases. And I can tell you the other takeaway real quick is it really opened people's eyes up and starting with myself. I mean, everyone was kind of doing the right thing, but everyone really, you know, you know, is now all bought in and all, you know, all dialed in on it. Uh, uh, from mask wearing to uh, social distancing to just really making sure that the protocols that we had in place from summer <clears throat> were really were really happening. So uh, maybe in the, in the end it was a blessing in disguise, so to say. But it was uh, it was a lesson on 
really, you know, reacting quick on our feet and getting getting open on that Saturday. Carl, what's the service that you guys have to for for testing? On it's site? actually it's actually it was, it's not to get into a lot of details on it, but it was a, it was a service I actually have through uh, Concierge uh, Healthcare, uh, and it's a it's a traveling nursing service that shows up and will. Uh, and again, I'm sure they're available. I spoke to a couple other operators and I'm sure it's available in a lot of different areas that just having that at your fingertips. So the minute, you know, there's a suspect and how this happened for us is we had somebody who got tested on their own then came back and reported it. So once we realized that and she had been working around all these other individuals, uh, we knew we had to act fast and make sure everyone was tested. But having that at your fingertips is probably the number one thing uh, is because we all know it's not if, it's just when it happens. Uh, so having that in place, and then having, uh, you know, being able to get those results. And, you know, it's almost like giving an MRI back to our sports talk. You got to find out if your shoulders are right if you're going to pitch the next day. And you want to make sure, you, you know, who you, your players are going to be. And in this case, who your, your, your key staff are going to be. And the quicker you can identify that, the quicker you make other plans. So that, I felt, was the number one thing is just having a really, uh, you know, quick, uh, quick uh, accessibility to testing and results. And then, then you can start planning forward. If we hadn't been able to do it this fast, uh, we wouldn't have been open on that Saturday. So, wow. so uh, like you said, that that uh, that kind of opened up the eyes of uh, of staff oh, members yeah. and everything like that. And so, yeah. did that um, did you have to change your message to staff about the uh, like how their behavior can affect operations uh, and you know just the personal accountability and everything like that? How uh, other than the you know staff knowing about it? How did you guys communicate? Okay, this is a big deal if something like this happens. Um, well, I think I think the big like. deal was, the, and, and again, the reality check was, wow, we're not going to open tomorrow, and everyone was like, oh wow, and you know that was that was probably the biggest opening, you know, biggest statement you can make. Uh, no one had to say anything. Uh, it's kind of like when Coach Hallwater used to yell at us, you know, and we, we knew <laughs> we knew we better step in line, so you didn't have to say too much. So the uh, same thing here is, uh, uh, you know, basically everyone just knew. Uh, they said, wow, you know, they saw the impact. I mean, yeah, it's a lot of dollars and, and so on and so forth. We'd, we'd already expended dollars to announce our opening and prepare for our opening. And everyone got it and, uh, from, from A to Z. So, uh, uh, and, you know, and even uh, as of today, I mean, uh, we're much better than we were the day that before it happened. Uh, and I don't think I could have done anything uh, to make it this good without having to go through this experience. Sometimes, you know, it's a blessing in disguise, like I said. Everyone takes it totally seriously. Everyone gets it. I don't, you know, we don't have to go around and remind people. People, the reminder was, wow, we could be closed. We were closed. We were not able to open. I've seen that you guys, uh, your public facing messaging uh, from Mountain High uh, encourages a culture of accountability among both staff and guests. And uh, you guys have, have uh, kept it very on brand. Uh, tell us about that. Was that like just, you know, keeping that on brand and, and like how those conversations have gone about that messaging and what you guys have well, decided. It, it, across, across the board, everyone, I mean, uh, we've had no issues. We've been open a, a week and a half, a week and a couple of days now. Uh, and, and had some, you know, for what our capacities were, I've met capacity. I heard somebody speak earlier about uh, it is very, very important. If you want to see that you have, you're, and you're truly holding to what you say you're going to do with the capacities. We had, you know, our first day we had pass holders that had to wait, uh, uh, but people overall appreciate that. Uh, they appreciate when you say something in the messaging, you've got to follow through for, with it on the ground floor. Also, you're saying all this stuff and there's 5,000 people on the mountain. That wouldn't go over well, I can tell you that. But uh, uh, what we've seen is everyone's abided by 
uh, you know, we've had no issues with people not wanting to wear a mask or not wanting to social distance. Uh, everyone's aware of what's going on around them. I mean, we're in LA County, which is a, one of the toughest counties in the country, obviously. Uh, you know, we have to follow the same rules as downtown LA. So, uh, so anyways, from that standpoint, uh, the messaging was, you know, obviously uh, I thought was well done uh, and put out there, but it's more, it's more important than messaging is following your message. If you have the message, but don't follow it, and I'm not sure how well we would have followed it without that incident we had on site. I mean, uh, I think, again, that, that it all kind of came together. And, um, you know, I, there's nothing we could have done to probably uh, be as, as, as ready as we are now without that, you know, that, that, uh, that flare up slash uh, incident uh, that Wednesday. Thank you, Carl. Appreciate those those insights. Um, Carl, Dave, I got one one quickie before we move off. And Carl, you're right now at a capacity of a thousand people a day. And at one time, at one time, thousand at, one time. At one time, how does that compare to what you normally? Uh, well, right now, normally what we have open, we probably have been double that. Uh, we're using roughly fifty percent. We probably could have had as many as two thousand, but uh, we're set at one thousand. And the way our parking is set up, and it's actually pretty easy. At least this level. When we move to another stage, it might be a little more difficult, but we have a lot. That's basically what it holds. So it's you know once uh, and we have the reservation system, obviously, and all the above. But uh. Uh, it is it is crucial that if you say you're going to do that, you really do it. So if you're not planning on doing that, I would not say it because people will call you on it. Okay. You know, people, you know, you know, they, they, they people are, are watching, so to say. And and one final thing, you we've reported on it as a story, but your you know your snowplay, the Yeti snowplay park, which yeah. pre-pandemic you had that to address. Never ever is coming to this, you know, to Mountain High and just wanting to get outside and play in the snow and. So you already had that, but given all the crush of new outdoor enthusiasts, are you expecting that to get hit harder? And and are you doing anything more or just restrict? The that's, a, that's a great question. We're going to find out this weekend. It opens this weekend. Uh, so I guess we'll find out. Uh, but we'll also have restrictions on that. Initially, that'll be at 200. So at 200 at any given time. And we have two-hour blocks. So that would add up to about 800 a day. Uh, but at 200. And typically, though, we could have as many as uh, six, you know, 600 plus in one in a two hour block. So uh, we're definitely restricting it down and uh, it'll be interesting to see how, you know, that community reacts, but that community has been out and about and hiking and everything else. And like you said, it's, you know, we expect it to do quite well and um, obviously probably be at capacity. We're going to move to uh, Tyler Fairbank, president and CEO of the Fairbank group. And um, thanks for joining us, Tyler. Um, so they, Tyler, um, they, uh, he, uh, he and his dad operate three ski areas in the Northeast. Everybody probably knows this, but those of you who don't, three areas in the Northeast, each in a different state, New Hampshire, Vermont, Massachusetts, which makes you a really interesting case because it's a tricky to operate three resorts in three different states with three different regulations. Um, and I, I can't imagine your, your every day. Um, so, and we also know New England is a drive to market. So cross state travel is a, is a must for Northeast skiers right. and riders. And, and how do you, so I guess our question is, given your unique situation, how do you think um, cross state restrictions will impact each of your resorts? And is there any one of your ski areas that you think is better set up right now, given the strange cross state dilemma we have in the Northeast? They're all um, they're all in a bad bad spot, unfortunately. <laughs> so um, I guess uh, yeah, the uh, you know we've tried to balance the 
the world here um, by having some Fairbank group level view expertise, the CFO level, legal level, or C office levels kind of view, as well as the um, the teams that are there in the state and, and uh, each of the, the three states that, that you mentioned earlier that we're in, um, we, we, you know, to be expert in all of the nuances of each of those states can be overwhelming. Um, and so I think that's where we've really tried to get the balance of both worlds. And I think we've done that pretty well. Um, it, you know, definitely Vermont has has created a, um, I think Stuart Winchester said it best, you know, they basically dug a moat around Vermont, you know, and uh, burned all the bridges. So yeah, that's about what Vermont has done. Um, New Hampshire was um, nicely set up and, you know, live free or die, right? That's New Hampshire. And, and uh, but Massachusetts is, has uh, limited, um, the 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 number of exempt states now um and so therefore there's only two left vermont well and and hawaii so um yeah not a big skiing base in hawaii as i understand it so um you know uh that has made traveling in and out of massachusetts and and uh, new hampshire a bit of a challenge and um you know, where, um, where New Hampshire and Massachusetts intersect is pretty significant. It's a, it's a big deal. So, um, uh, you know, it, they're all, all the three of our mountains are definitely contending with the challenges of cross state travel restrictions. And um, that is, you know, I guess we'll all see what happens with Thanksgiving and, you know, and whether maybe a couple of weeks after where they get lifted or, or not, um, as the case may be, we'll see. And, um, um, but, but uh, I, I'm a big believer that the Northeast is very different than any other part of the country, good or bad, not saying good or bad, just saying different. And uh, definitely drive time is a big deal. And um, uh, people are not getting in planes right now. I think we benefit from that. Um, but travel restrictions will be the 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 uh, the curse side of that. So not a blessing, not a curse. So, you know, it, uh, it is a challenge for us, no doubt, uh, in this industry and in this part of the country, for sure. So, um, and I and again, it's it would be hard. But do you have a have you figured out you know, a matrix, for lack of a better word, of how your operational protocols, you know, change every time the restriction changes so that you can adjust your capacity. So, you know, when Massachusetts starts adding more to the high risk and all of a sudden that takes away a portion of the audience you thought you might get, do you have a, an internal chart that you can use? Like, how are you figuring this out to change the capacities, to change with the restrictions and understand the flow of where your customers are going to come from. Well, I mean, you know, I know we're all planners, you know, we all like to plan in this business and we want to have everything mapped out and know exactly what to expect. And in this, you know, crazy business of uncertainty, we now have something else that's uncertain, which is, you know, how many people we can actually, you know, take at each of the mountains. Um, there's not necessarily that, you know, clear plan matrix that we all want 
there's not. It, it's it's a it's a guessing game, you know. I guess. So you know, if New York can't come into Massachusetts without completing the mass travel form, what does that mean for Jiminy Peak? Uh, I don't know. You know, I mean, uh, we 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 uh, we speculate. We think we have an idea, maybe, kind of, but you'll never know. Right. You know, I mean, there's so many other factors. The weather is the biggest factor still to this day. And, um, you know, we were open at Jiminy this weekend. That's awesome. That's great. You know, the weather is a big, big variable in, in this upcoming weekend, whether or not in Mass or in New Hampshire or in, in Vermont, we're going to be able to open. So um, there's no there's no simple answer to that question. You know, we rely upon the teams at each of the mountains to really say, okay, well, Vermont has got this moat, you know, around it. Well, what does that mean? And there were 4 million skier visits in Vermont in the past. How many will there be this year? You know, how many are there coming from out of state? What does that mean for our resorts versus the state as a whole? And, and, and you know, nobody knows the answer to these questions. So we build our budgets, we modify those budgets, we build our operating plans, we mod uh, modify those plans, you know, the best we can, but there's no, unfortunately, you know, there's no template to work off of, or fortunately, maybe. And given the just the the early snapshot of that, we know the customers want transparency. They want information. They want to know what we can't tell them because we don't have a. How are you? How are you doing that with staff and um, and customers? How, how are you? Are you going to set up a texting system? Are you going to um, do it all through your web? How are you communicating? Um, yeah, communication is huge, and and certainly. Um, one thing that I think we learned this weekend that I learned um, is that our guests are paying very close attention to what we're doing. You know, um, they're calling in from one property to another property to say, hey, you know, so we saw people and they came down and they had their masks off and they didn't put their masks on quick enough. You know, really? You're going to call us out on that? But yeah. They're, they're policing, they are the spies, they are, you know, and the thing that we all need to pay attention to is, you know, the social media platforms that, that they can all utilize. Everybody is a reporter and they can uh, rat us out in a heartbeat if they want. And so we do everything by the book, you know, we have to follow the guidelines to a T and we do. And the communication is, absolutely paramount. I probably spent too much time today thinking through and bouncing off, you know, uh, others, the ideas of, you know, how do we communicate with our guests? How do we tell them that we, we, we want them, we love them, and we want them to come here, but stay away, you know? And that's kind of ironic, but it's true. My dad says, you know, I've been in this business for 52 years, and you know my 52nd season and we're open early and we're excited and we're telling people to stay away <laughs> it's just maddening it's Weird. just maddening yeah it certainly is uh... our next panelist today is Hiram Toll. he is the general manager at Mount Ashland in southern Oregon 
So Mount Ashland is a community-owned nonprofit and a relatively smaller operation with lots of returning staff. But like many smaller ski areas, Mount Ashland doesn't have a super deep bench of staff. So if key staff members get sick, it could have serious implications. Uh, so Hiram, what would the impacts of a COVID outbreak among staff or even just a few positive cases be? And how are you trying to educate staff to avoid this and create a culture of accountability? Well, first, we don't want anyone getting sick. That's where my mind goes uh, most often is just protecting the crew and make sure that they're, um, you know, that they're staying healthy. But yeah, we don't have uh, team A, B, and C. Our, our bench doesn't exist. I'm the bench. I love, I love bumping chairs, but um, you know, there's only so many of us that are, you know, cross, we do cross train quite a bit. Um, but no, we, we run five days a week. We would normally have night skiing. We've canned night skiing for the season. So I can't even pull um, those people. And of course, you've got your critical departments. If we lose, uh, I've got two full-time lift mechanics. Um, there's no one I'd rather have uh, in the motor room than Tucker and Trevor if, uh, you know, Low Hiram was stuck on a ski lift. And although I can do some maintenance, I'm, I'm not what I would call a qualified lift mechanic. So you lose even one of those guys, it, it's a potential shutdown. Um, we can't operate a ski area without adequate ski patrol. And even just losing a lift, we have, you know, we have four lifts and a rope tow. If I lose one of my keystone lifts, you think about the capacity issues we have now on Hill, um, you know, with that limited uphill capacity, it would be, um, it would be pretty impactful. But in terms of creating the culture, um, we have a lot of returning staff. They are all good friends. I and mean, we would have a margarita Monday with up to 50 people who would come on Mondays, you know, as we were, you know, our last night before closing for uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. And that traditions are hard to break. You know, it's, we're, we're one lifty party away from, from a shutdown. And so what we've done is we've really tried to um, paint a picture in their mind about what their, you know, off mountain uh, behaviors could possibly do um, from putting them and their friends out of work, um, you know, impacting our little, you know, we, we don't run on really super high margins, you know, we're a nonprofit we invest a lot of that right back into the uh, ski area. So, you know, the, it's, it's the impacts to our ability to, you know, serve the future skiers and riders um, as well as our existing um, guests. I mean, there's no time in history where people need this more than they do now. I mean, I remember back to uh, 9-11, we kind of at Sunday River, we were kind of assuming that, you know, things would drop off a bit, but people looking for the escapism, people just kept showing up. And, I can't imagine that they're not now, you know, summer operations, folks who have summer and have already opened and are um, seeing just the massive amount of people going into the outdoors. We've got 10 inches out there and the mountains tracked up, <laughs> which is, you know, I hope people back, you know, back East, we all had rock boards, uh, they don't hear. And so hopefully they were able to avoid patches. So, uh... Staff behavior is one thing, you know, outside of work and everything, and uh, also at work and making sure that, you know, everyone's following the protocols to keep everybody uh, that they work with safe. But guest behavior also plays a big role in how this season goes. Uh, so how are you commuting, communicating that to guests and the community, community that's so important to uh, operations at Ashland? What kind of uh, uh, messages are you providing them and how are you telling them that, you know, you guys have major role to, to play in our success this season? Um, in terms of making sure that they follow the rules as well? Well, for a little ski area, we, we get a lot of marketing play locally 
And, um, you know, so we're screaming it from the mountaintop on pretty much every channel, whether it's on television, we get, uh, you know, some um, earned press or all of our social media channels, you know, for a while we were remaining pretty quiet because we just didn't really have the information. Things were changing by the minute. Um, but we're putting in place, you know, we've, we've had a text alert system since before it was cool. We have a double black diamond uh, access road that gets shut down from time to time. So we've been blasting out, um, you know, got a good email blast uh, list. Uh, we really communicate well, I think, for a small ski area. Um, we are also implementing some things. We just signed up with Ascent 360 to, uh, to be able to really double down on that communication, especially the arrival day um, or day before arrival. Uh, we're using the Liftopia platform. We are only allowing people to order uh, tickets, lessons, and rentals, which is pretty much the only uh, products we're gonna have uh, back to just being in the uphill transportation business for the most part. Um, so it's going to be really important for someone to order their tickets, you know, two weeks ago um, to be able to, to get that letter as a reminder to be, you know, educated on what to expect uh, when they get up here. Season pass sales have been robust. And so, of course, we communicate early with those folks when they come to, um, well, when we send their pass in the mail, which is what we've been doing mostly. Um, really just direct communications, honest, open and timely. And that's... Uh, that's how we always operate anyway. You know, we do a live update every morning um, with Hiram on the Hill. And so people expect pretty constant communication from us. And so that's, that's, the, that's the way to do it, I think, for anybody is you just got to be as transparent as you, as you can. Uh, people do know that what people are craving right now more than anything is, is information as we all, you know, scroll through news feeds and uh, probably get way too much uh, depressing information. But it's what, it's what, keeps people confident that we're going to have a ski season. Well, uh, as folks scroll through their feeds and uh, see Mount Ashland on there, if Dr. Snow is making a, a cameo, be sure to stop and, and look at that. That's, uh, that's always entertaining from Mount Ashland. So um, <laughs> you guys made the early decision that the mountain won't be offering food and beverage and retail in the lodge. Uh, so the lodge really is uh, only going to be used for staff. Uh, tell us about how you guys are, you know, came to that decision and what the lodge is going to be used for this year. Well, yeah, we looked at a number of things to determine what, you know, non-ski um, offerings we would have, but we have a four-story lodge that's on a fairly small uh, footprint. I walk 56 stairs from the basement up to my office, for example. Uh, it's not conducive to, to spreading people out. So we have um, minimal capacity and as a nonprofit community ski area, you know, we're, our, our mission is to make sure that we get that next crop of skiers and riders. So um, our learn to ski and ride programs and rentals uh, were a number one um, at only after keeping our employees uh, safe. So we were trying to spread out our employees uh, throughout the four floors so that they have a place uh, of refuge. And so that takes away at, at some of that, um, that capacity for sure. And then, of course, with the, um, you know, rentals and lessons running out of the basement, um, that's going to just, we're, we're trying to make it so that we're running a lot more conservatively, hopefully, than we need to so that we can make adjustments up from there. Thanks, Aaron. We're switching gears here and discussing leading teams through what could be an incredibly chaotic winter season with High Peaks Group's Paul Tallner and retired Colonel John Vermeesh. So now we're going to um, take a, a, 
a moment to um, turn towards two experts um, for a few pieces of advice as we are heading into this most challenging of seasons. Um, we've learned so much from each other and forums like these and, and the webinars that NSCA is putting on and other places, um, but we're going flat out and trying to keep up with the changes to our businesses and taking care of staff. Um, you know, I think about the example when you're on the plane and the stewardess says, put your oxygen mask on yourself before you put it on the, the kid. And I think that's a reminder that um, all of you in, in leadership roles and manager roles, that the, the self-care is important if you're to be able to address these incredible uh, shifts in the in, in changes that happen, that come at you every day. So I'd like to introduce um, High Peaks Group CEO, Paul Talner. Many of you know him from the Summit Series um, and our Resilient Leader Bootcamp um, from this fall. With him is Colonel John Vermeesh, um, and they will um, share a brief, um, a couple of takeaways for you and a, and a brief story as an example, um, you know, to know what to do when um, shit hits the fan. So with that, Paul. Absolutely, thanks for that. That, that last sentence is a little bit of a showstopper for me, but I'll, <laughs> perfect. Hearing all of these stories really reminds me of the, the weight and, and consequence of this year on all of us. And I think that's what uh, is a really important thing to keep in mind that the effect of all of this does um, carry into our, our organizations, not just, in the for, not just what you bring in terms of your own kind of capacity, but also that of your employees and your customers. So let's talk a little bit about what happens in one's brain during times of peak challenge. Here we have the brain inside the, uh, the head of your customer or your team member or yourself. And we all remember if you've taken the um, Summit Series Bootcamp, there's a part of the brain that's responsible for monitoring threats and sort of assessing uh, um, challenges. That's called the amygdala, the lower part of your brain. Then there's the middle part of your brain that's sort of um, responsible for belonging and socialization. And then the front part of your brain is where all the rational stuff happens, where you think about um, decision-making and complexity and significance and things like that, your own significance, that of others. But what's constant right now is that we have a lot of VUCA entering our brain and hitting the brains of everybody around us. VUCA stands for volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. That's all of the, I mean, we have that on a good year but with the pandemic, it's even worse, right? So all of these things are affecting how we respond to various things in our world. Uh, and we know that the way we respond impacts the way um, other people respond back to us and the way they then respond to others down the line. But I wanted to just, um, so I wanted to just sort of share, share one quick thing and then I'll toss it over to John. Uh, which is that uh, as we talk about the demands of uh, this world, um, they're very, when, when the demands outweigh the resources that you have to deal with them, we tend to operate down in this lower end of, you know, this is a simplified version of Maslow's hierarchy. So we're always constantly searching for safety and we tend to, you know, almost have these knee-jerk reactions. But when we develop resources uh, and they ex exceed the demands that are placed upon us, we tend to cycle up into a much more rational and uh, capable way of handling, uh, handling circumstances and challenges. I wanted to just point out one last thing, which is when we're in this mode, whether we are 
sort of at our worst or at our best. The key thing to remember is that we all are kind of affecting each other all the time. So it's like a spider web vibrating so that when, if, if you as a leader are coming at uh, a situation from a perspective of real strength and capability, that will, that will be, um, that will carry forward in a positive way throughout your organization. Uh, unfortunately, the flip side is also true. So if you freak out at the smallest little thing, uh, the, or even the biggest little thing <laughs> that comes your way, that will be felt in your organization as well. And, and you're essentially modeling that behavior for others to then repeat over and over again, not just uh, with each other, but with your customers. So I think being careful about how you approach challenges uh, there's a lot of great stuff uh, that we can share, and I, I will certainly share some stuff after this. Um, we'll help you um, interact and uh, with your customers more effectively, and help your teams prepare to interact with customers more effectively. So that was that was brain science in 90 seconds. All right, but what I love about what he just said is, um, if I learn nothing else from my 28 years uh, of wearing the cloth of the nation and leading American sons and daughters and in, in uh, really chaotic times at times um, is that the thing the leader can do most for the team is be the calm in the eye of the storm. Um, and so I think by, by having the ability to respond calmly, rationally, um, when things are at their most chaotic, you actually bring a sense of balance back to the team. People around you react more appropriately um, and, and I think that leads me to tell a story about the morning of December 27th, 2008, uh, when I was a battalion commander in the U.S. Army Infantry Battalion Commander leading about 900 folks in Northwest Baghdad. Uh, and I was kind of running around my headquarters that morning doing some normal administrative stuff. Um, and then and all of a sudden, the walls of the building just shook. It was like the glass was going to blow out of our building. Um, and and what had happened was there was a car bomb that had detonated about 700 meters, 700 yards away uh, at, a, at one of the most holy um, Shia Islamic shrines that was right outside the gate of our operating base. Um, and so, you know, in that catastrophic event, um, 24 Iraqi citizens were killed, 46 were wounded. Um, and so I, you know, I'm sitting there in my headquarters, I grab my patrol and, um, and we, uh, we move to the sounds of the guns, if you will, um, to, because I feel like in crisis, another thing that leaders can do, um, or in chaotic situations is really, is get to the incident and put your own eyes on it. Um, and make a personal assessment whenever possible. That's not always possible. Like we have to trust our teams to provide us input uh, and all that. But if we can get there, um, you know, in the army, we call that being at the decisive point and the leader's ability to be at the decisive point and personally influence the outcomes um, is dramatically important, I think. And so we got there, we were the first Americans on the scene um, and there were a bunch of Iraqi security forces that were, um, some of my partner organizations or our partners that were, were trying to, to manage this. And, and as I jumped out of my Humvee and started moving towards to try to figure out what had actually happened, um, what I realized was that everyone was focused inwardly. Like every, every single human being that, was, that had a gun and was wearing a uniform that was meant to protect us, and, um, and whether they were Iraqi or Americans, 
everyone was focused inwardly on the incident. Uh, and as I stepped out on my truck, you know, I took a second, I just kind of stopped and looked around. Um, I listened uh, and, and I, I just observed the environment. It was like, what, what's the next big threat here? What's, what's the thing that could turn this really bad situation from bad to worse and make it even worse? And, and what clicked in my brain was, well, these first responder vehicles are coming in, ambulances and all that to, to treat the, uh, the wounded. Um, what if one of them is filled with explosives and, and they make this even worse? And so what dawned on me, and, I, and I've carried this with me ever since, um, is that really I think the lead, one of the leader's roles, other than being calm and issuing very clear guidance and remaining rational and all that, one of the clear roles of a leader in chaotic situations, the first obviously is to protect your own team. Um, like, so you have to make sure your team is there. And some of you have talked about that already today, like the importance of when a COVID case is, uh, or a, someone tests positive is to protect your own team. Um, the second thing I think is to contain the chaos. And I think you do that with the smallest element that you have that can feasibly manage that chaos. You put some really good people on it. And then the third thing I think that leaders do is then focus the entire organization back outward while containing the chaos internally um, and regain the initiative. Start scanning the environment, put your foot in the ground, contain the chaos and then focus outward um, to regain the initiative um, of focusing away from the incident and looking for future opportunities because ultimately I think that's what protects the organization. Um, and so really, I think as I kind of close out this story, um, yeah, you know, Olivia mentioned take care of yourself. I think one of the things that leaders have to do in order to remain calm in chaotic environments is really protect themselves by getting sleep, um, by decompressing, by eating well, all the things, exercising, all the things that we know to be true. Um, and then, you know, the other thing I will say, and, and several of you have mentioned, I think Carl and Hiram both mentioned this specifically, um, about the need, uh, and particularly in environments like we find ourselves now, to be super transparent about communications. Um, and what, what, what I like to think about, and this is true in any environment, but particularly when, when things are bad uh, or, or chaotic, not necessarily bad, but just chaotic, is that if you don't create the narrative, someone will create, everyone will create their own narrative. Um, so they're gonna, if you don't create the story about your ski resort, your, your clients, your, um, the people that come there are gonna create the story about your ski resort and they're gonna share it on whatever means they can. Um, so that whole notion of transparent communication, saying what you mean and meaning what you say I think is so exceptionally critical right now. And so the outlet that people need right now that they find at your resorts may be one of the most important things, um, services that we can provide in this country right now. So so thanks for what you're doing. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just echo the gratitude from John uh, as well. And also just kind of wrap it up this way. Um, while, you know, John provides a really great metaphor, you know, from his experience in combat, I think what, you know, what's really important to also remember is that with, within any situation, including the challenging one we're in right now, as leaders, you have to see possibilities. 
And when you see possibilities, then that, that enables your team to also see the possibilities as well. Uh, so that would be my, my parting wish to you all is to just concentrate and focus on the positive possibilities of the future, because that's where you're headed. Um, our last guest um, I'm excited to have uh, is Blaze Carrig. Um, saved him um, last so that he can um, absorb everything that was said on this call. And, and he listened to the reality check last week as well. Um, and, you know, he's had many years um, in leadership roles across the industry and has been through many a crisis and crises and um, has been a tremendous mentor to many people. Um, so, you know, Blaise, I, I know this is putting you on the spot, but I, I really would love for you and take what you know and your experiences and look at what the operators on the call today are facing and, and perhaps provide some insight or advice um, about how they might prioritize their decisions this um, season or, or um, any advice that you feel would be important for them going forward. All right. Well, thanks, Olivia, and thanks for hosting these huddles. They're really, they're really terrific. Um, well, one, it's good to be retired. Um, <laughs> and, but at the same time, uh, I'm not disconnected. I have so many friends and connections in the industry that, uh, and people I talk to every day now. So I feel everybody's pain, and uh, it's just mind-boggling what everybody's dealing with. Um, a couple of things. I wanted to start off on, on one detail, just that... Um, both Tyler and Carl were talking about people are watching. So one of the things I do in my retirement is uh, my morning is my cup of coffee and reading just about every mountain online newspaper uh, in North America. And the articles are somewhat interesting, but the comments are wildly interesting that come from people out there. And they are watching. And one of the things I see is, you know, I think Tyler mentioned people calling out resorts on some of the most ridiculous things. And uh, nobody talked about this aspect of it, but the other people that are reading those comments are your town uh, counselors and your county commissioners. And I know that in some areas, um, you know, they are not as uh, adept of dealing with the cutting the wheat from the chafe that uh, we all are when, you know, we deal often with you know, hundreds of comments through a week and we can kind of sort out, you know, the goofballs from the serious things that we need to deal with. And I think the county commissioners, I know in a lot of areas are struggling and somewhat on the verge of overreacting to um, what people are calling out on their observations of what they're seeing, how people are dealing with the protocols and the resorts. And so you have the risk of uh, maybe, you know, accelerated moves towards uh, shutting down resorts uh, or harder restrictions. So I guess my, what I've talked to some people that I've, I've been talking to about is, you know, making sure you're, you know, proactively reaching out to those, uh, you know, commissioners uh, ahead of time. You know, if you see floods of comments about your resort in, on, on chat lines or in newspaper uh, sites that, you know, you should be aware that those other people are reading them and you can try to help sort those interpretations out in advance. Um, you know, getting on a, on a more global aspect, I think it feels like you're juggling uh, at these times three balls at one time. So the one ball, which I think has two components, is just the kind of day-to-day -day stressors that are happening from this continuing onward. 
And then within that day-to-day, um, individual uh, stressors that will come up like Carl had where, boom, somebody tests positive for COVID and you know you have to deal with that. And I think there's like two different levels. John and Paul talked about how you deal with like the individual stressor incident. And I agree with having to get to 50,000 feet, you know, being, being close to it as, as John said, but at the same time getting removed because I think what happens a lot is everybody wants to rush to action. And the, the key point for the leader is to be above all of that and kind of sort it out and organize it. I think, you know, the, a bigger concern for everybody, I think also needs to be, what is the effect of this ongoing stressor, um, you know, in my life and in my staff's life. And so I think, you know, one of the things I said at the beginning of this and talking to Olivia is I always reminded my people to be aware of the space within yourself. And if you get to max, if you're operating at max stress, then you're not ready for the next thing, which is possible. And in, in a case of COVID, I think most likely to happen. Like there's other things coming. And so for, for you to be able to be the calm, you know, are you leaving that space within yourself? And if you're not, then I think you have to stop. And I don't think you just accept it and say, no, God, I'm, I'm just maxed out. I got to find a way to deal with it. I think you really, you need to find a way to get the space. And so whether that's things you do in your life or people you talk to in your life, or you're delegating some of the things uh, that you're dealing with that you don't need to deal with, I think it's, it's really important that you recognize you have to create that space. It's easy advice to say uh, that as a leader, you need to be the calm. And I think less easy to achieve the calm and so I guess I would just, you know, say everybody should make a personal assessment of what gives me that calm. Um, you know, running a ski area in normal times has enough stress. And I think we all found the calm and the day-to-day -day ability to go out and ski and enjoy the mountain and relax. I think it's harder to do that today for, for operators. And so I think you have to look at other ways, whether it's, um, you know, taking a walk or, you know, for me, it was always thinking about what people do I talk to that make me feel good and reaching out and calling those people and talking to them, just, just shooting the shit and just kind of getting your mind away um, and spending time with someone who can, you know, kind of bring you to that place. I think the second ball in this is how does what, how does what's happening to your business today going to affect what your, your business is tomorrow. And I think Bill Jensen talked a little bit about this at the last uh, forum, but you know, I, I think the idea of sustaining your business is, 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 a, is obviously very key and I'm sure it's key to your mind, but are you spending you know, enough time besides from dealing with the day-to-day -day aspects of the COVID, are you dealing with what are the future ramifications to your business? What happens if there are more shutdowns, what happens if there's a partial shutdown? Uh, what happens if you're like, in some cases in Vermont, your borders are shut off and you're not gonna see your weekend business. You know, are you, are you starting to plan out how you have to structure your business to come out on the other side of that? And I always approach that in terms of looking at what is the worst thing that can happen to me and what is the best place I can be in if that happens to me, and then building my, my, my scheme 
up from that. I'd start with what's the best place I can come out of the worst thing, but also work in, in terms of different scenarios of that. Um, and then I think the third ball is, okay, one is how do you survive? And then the next one is, oh, how do you thrive? And I think that's probably really difficult for people to think about. But um, one thing that you hear about in, in a lot of crises, whether it's financial crises or 9-11 and, and a lot of different things, experts will say, this too will pass. And it's often hard to grab onto that when you're in the middle of it. But in reality, a couple of years down the road, we'll look back at this in the same way that we look back at the 2000, 2009 financial crisis, which at the time, people thought the financial world was coming to an end. And I remember being in rooms where we were like, like you know, just wanting to hang on to our, our company. Um, but at the same time, how do you look at, you know, where you where are you going to be on the other side of it? And I hate, I don't want to get into telling bail stories, but one of the things we did in, in 07, 09 was we bunkered into a room and we worked on how do we look at the fundamentals of our company to what survival is. And in our case, we actually, you know, had to decide to get rid of a bunch of businesses we had that were not core and look at strengthening the core and knowing, you know, what were the things we needed and who were the people we needed. And once we had that sorted out as our core, we shifted to what do we want to be in 2020? And at the time it seemed crazy. And we had some crazy BHAGs, bold, audacious goals that actually came to fruition. We set a goal out. We said, we want the upside to be vision 2020. Where do we want to be in 2020? And looking back on it, it's kind of crazy to think of how many of those things actually came to fruition when we did it in the middle of the same time we were thinking of, God, how do we keep our company afloat? So um, I think, you know, it's kind of a yin and a yang uh, to be in both worlds and not easy to do. Um, but I think if you can carve out time to do that, it's well worth it for your sustainability of your business. So those are, those are my thoughts. Those are the cheap seats, actually. I'll, I'll <laughs> <open> that <laughs> at this point. The reality of this winter season is constantly changing, but resorts are opening and our guests are ready. As you open for the winter season, let us know how it's going and what questions we can help you answer on future episodes of PodSAM and in the pages of SAM Magazine by emailing us at huddle at saminfo.com. The conversation doesn't end here. The November issue of SAM Magazine is out now. Subscribe or renew your subscription to SAM at www.saminfo.com slash subscribe. Check out the special opening 2020 section aimed at helping you smooth out some of the operational bumps we will encounter this season. The small cost of a subscription is a big value for you and your team. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. The Pod Sam Advisor is Alex Kaufman, the Wintry Mix Podcast Guy. I am Sarah Bordeaux, and thank you for listening to Pod Sam. Mm-hmm.